All right. Number, uh, well, I don't have my pad in front of me, so I don't know what number a conversation number is. Seven. seven. Number seven with Bonnie and Bob. And uh, we, in record time, have pushed the record button. So we've only been on the Zoom for about uh, two minutes, maybe. And we're like, what are we going to talk about today? And we decided to just go ahead and push the record button because um, it sounded like whatever was getting ready to happen, I wanted I wanted that to be the conversation, just a real authentic conversation. So um, welcome to today, uh, September 1st, and happy September 1st to everybody. Um, there's a, a new um, season in the liturgical calendar, a fairly new season that, that spans the month of September, and it's about creation. I just learned that, that it's fairly new. It's not recognized by every denomination, uh, but the 30 days in September um, are about creation and, and our role in creation. And so I just think that's interesting. I love the first day of each month. It feels like a fresh start to me. I have always celebrated. I say always, but I remember the year that I started celebrating the first day of each month, which is when I was 18 years old. And I read a book by an author, uh, Barbara Johnson. And uh, oh my and gosh, I know you remember her. Yeah. What was the, what was the book she did? She, I don't know if she did more than more than one, but I think one was normal is just a setting on your dryer, which is, I think one of them. And okay. then the other one was like cracked something about a cracked pot and God using cracked, cracked pots. Right. And, she was like a humorist speaker yeah. right yeah 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 that's right and i bought, bought all the any christian book any nobody anybody i've i've seen it probably read it because she she bought two or three books every week for her whole life every she was constantly reading when she wasn't at work wow almost <laughs> all christian literature 95 percent of a christian mm. literature <laughs> i was hoping somebody moved today and um, earlier today, and there was a whole box of an old book called The Je Jesus Calling. Jesus is Calling, I think is the name of it, um, or Jesus Calling. And then an old uh, devotional by Joyce Meyer about starting each day. <laughs> and so we decided to do a, a little Lexio Divina in the middle of our move. And we picked up the books. We just opened them up and read the, read the, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um and anyway, Barbara Johnson planted the idea in me to celebrate the first day of each month. She would take actually take the day off and be at home. And um, so I, I, I adopted that when I was 18 years old and that's been, and I'm 45 now. So whatever the math is. And I always, um, I don't take the day off like she did, but I celebrated and I, like to think of it as a new start. And I like to remember my new year's resolutions on that day, if I've made any, um, which I haven't really done in a long time. So, yeah. So we were talking about our list and I think today we might start with the Bible. And so you were just explaining that you're, as you were considering it, and I know you've been, uh, 
listening a little bit to Bill Winston, which is interesting. Um, yeah. On an old CD from 2012 <laughs> to 2013. Um, yeah, so I don't know where. Where do you want to start? And it was I wanted to start with this. Here's a here's a tip for when you're listening to a CD. If you have any of those old CDs that are teaching, because you know when you do a CD, they come in tracks, right? And each one is a song, but when it's a audio. Each of those, they have like little five-minute sections. Well, here's a tip. If you want to really try and get your brain going and really um, just scramble it up a little, hit random on the CD player. <laughs> because that's I couldn't figure out while I was listening. He was jumping all over the place, and it made no sense. And I finally realized, I looked at the tracks, and I'm like, oh, I was on three a minute ago. Now I'm on 12. Oh, now I'm on seven. Oh, and now I'm on one. <laughs> it would just keep <laughs> bouncing around. That's so funny. Make sure that you turn random if oh. your CD player in your car or whatever has that random feature. Oh Shuffle, random, whatever they call it, depending on the device. Turn that off so it can play in order. It'll yeah. it'll it'll make it so much easier to listen to. <laughs> So that's just a free tip, a little life hack there. Um, so, yeah, the Bible. You know that um, I have had a uh, long, you and I both have had long, long relationships with the Bible. And we know lots of people. We have lots of friends because of how we grew up, that we have very long relationships from the time we uh, first were, quote, unquote, uh, old school thinking, born again. And even before, for me, I didn't really read that much. I heard and knew a lot of scriptures because I was raised from the time I was about four and a half um, when I moved from California to Colorado. Uh, when my parents did that for my sister's help, we, we started attending church. We hadn't done, we hadn't before because my parents were on a hiatus for a few years when they first got married from church, they got, my dad got kicked out of two Bible colleges in a row, different, different coasts. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, he just didn't want to be there. And my grandpa wanted him to be there, wanted him to be a preacher. like him. And uh, so we moved to Colorado. We start going to church. And so at four and a half, I'm going to literally my grandpa's church every Sunday. And of course, if you want to know how you're going to be consistent and faithful, Go be, be the, the, the son of the son of a preacher man. And you will go to church every Sunday. We never missed. And my grandpa liked to preach a lot of scripture. So, but when I was 12, I was in a, uh, I was at a youth camp that my grandparents at that time were in charge of. After they retired, they went to the mountains in Colorado and ran um, a church campgrounds for their denom the denominational church campgrounds in Colorado. And they lived there year round, but for the summer months, for about three and a half months, there was just constant um, churches, their church denominations. And people came from three or four states, uh, youth. And each week was, you know, for elementary school and then junior high camp and then high school. And then of course, camp meeting. And then they also, uh, leased it out to other denominations other than those four times. 
And I was up there all summer, every year from the time I was about six until I was 16. I'd spend the whole summer up there and I was the dishwasher. And I got really good on this big old Hobart um, semi-manual dishwasher. You'd, you'd rinse dishes off, slide them in there, close the door, turn it to wash, turn it to rinse, turn it to flush or whatever it was, this rinse cycle and uh, sanitizing cycle, and then pull them out and put more in and, and, and uh, every summer. And I would rush to finish those so that I could go and be in when right after the meals, there was always some kind of a church meeting or, you know, crafts or whatever. And I wanted to be in all those with the rest of the kids. Cause as soon as I was finished, I could do that. And the summer when I was 12, I think I was 12, 11 or 12, I was at the junior high camp, which I wasn't old enough, but I was dishwashing. Everybody knew me. They called me little Bobby, little Bobby James. And I ran and at the, after the evening meal, I went up to the chapel and they had their guest speaker was speaking each night there. And that, and every night as it is often the case for many denominations, um, denominational churches, when they have those kind of camp things, every night is going to be a salvation night. At the end of the message, they're going to have you raise your hand and go up. And I did that night. There was something just like what this guy said made sense to me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to, I want to do that. So I ran up there and I, I really did. I mean, he, that guy himself, the speaker, he didn't do that with anybody else. He took me outside and sat me down and, and he led me through a sinner's prayer and, and, oh my goodness, I just felt so wonderful. It was, it was really quite an experience. And, uh, I immediately ran and told my grandparents and the very next day they gifted me with a, the way paper living Bible. Oh yeah. And they said, here you go. You're going to want to read this. And that was, so then after that, um, I didn't run to go to the crafts and stuff. I just had this insatiable desire for the, for the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so every time I'd finish washing dishes, instead of going to do the crafts with the kids, I would run to my grandparents' little house that they had up there. this really cute little house with a basement and everything. And I would grab my Bible. I had, I had a room down in the basement. And I would just lay there and read for hours until it was time for my next shift. Mm. And, um, and I wore that Bible out within six months. It was literally, you remember those old ones, they were mm -hmm. not very well made. Mm -hmm. And after you opened them, the, 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 the uh, glue on the binding was really horrible and it would just dry out and the pages would fall out and I was constantly taping them back in and, um, uh, so those, it, I would just read and read and read and without stopping. And, um, that went on for decades. I just literally fell in love with reading the word and I would, I would really hear, I felt I was really hearing from the Lord and, um, and I still to this day believe I was, but, um, so I've always loved the word. I know you've always loved the word, mm -hmm. but there was some things that I was taught about the Bible um, in some of the denominations and by some teachers that I didn't realize till years later how inaccurate they were. Mm -hmm. And as one of our favorite Bible teachers says, in many denominations, it's actually the, the Trinity is the Father and the Son and the Holy Bible, not the Holy right. Spirit. Right. And so they and the reason why is they basically believe 
that when the scripture says, when that which is perfect shall come, that which is imperfect shall pass away. And so they see the imperfect as being when the Holy Spirit had to come after Jesus's ascension and he releases the Holy Spirit and 40 days after he leaves his Pentecost and he, um, the Holy Spirit falls and they were all filled with the Spirit and they went out and, and everyone heard them. They were speaking in, in some language and everyone who was hearing them was hearing it in their own tongue. That's a really interesting kind of tongues. Um, but uh, then they say that after then the, all those disciples were filled, then when the last of those disciples died, well, the, all the scriptures, the New Testament had been read, written. And they say that's what it means when it says, for when that which is perfect shall come, that which is imperfect shall pass away. So they see the Holy Spirit coming as the imperfect and the Bible being that which is perfect, the perfect revelation of God, who God is. So you can literally, I have listened online, like on YouTube, there's, there's some schools of theology and they have their um, hermeneutics classes and they will, you know, just the way you are to interpret the Bible, the way that their denomination teaches you, this is how, this is the correct way to interpret the Bible. That's really all hermeneutics means is what kind of goggles do I put on when I'm reading the Bible so that I'm making sure I'm getting the right understanding of, of, of any possible scripture and what it really should mean, the intention of that scripture. And they will say that the Bible is the perfect word of God, complete, and, and it's, it's uh, and, and again, depending on the denomination, they will say it's inerrant meaning there's no errors in it, that it's perfect. It's And they will say, some of them will even specifically, it's perfect as a science book. Science has to bow to the Bible. It's perfect as a history book. If there's history and accuracies in the world that don't seem to correlate with the Bible, well, it's the Bible that's right and history's wrong. Um, whatever it is, that the Bible is the perfect word of God. It's a complete, perfect, the only perfect book is perfectly accurate and infallible and is the word of God. Anytime you then you see thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Thy word, they say that's the complete, perfect, holy Bible, Old and New Testament combined, which is, of course, a little difficult. I don't know what the people before, before the Bible was written, what they thought when they would read those passages because they didn't have the perfect Bible. They had an imperfect half of, a, you know, two thirds of a Bible. Well, they don't believe to these that teachers, that, but, they don't believe in time before there was a written word. The people that's probably believe, true. <laughs> people, people that believe that you have to know the word, uh, quote unquote, the word of God in the Bible, as we right. have today, really, really don't can hardly fathom a time where there was no full and complete Bible. Right. How did Job get along? Yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> The book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible, and it was written long after Job came and went, and yet he had a relationship with God, and he knew the word of the Lord, and he had, you know, he had conversations. So how did he, how did he do that? He didn't have any Bible. Right. He just somehow, and Moses didn't have any Bible. I mean, these people in, in that most of whom the stories are written about in the Old Testament, that are, they are these men of faith that we talk about. 
And yet, how did they have faith when they didn't have any Bible at all? <laughs> well, they had what's the real word of God. That's, that is God speaking to men. And um, so here's an interesting thought. This is just a new one that I thought of this morning. I've been, you and I have talked about this many times. I could go, I could literally do an eight hour teaching, I'm sure, easily on um, the Bible. Just the Bible, just going through, because I'm. this is just barely, barely touching anything. But here's some interesting thoughts. So according to the Bible, which we say is, is the Bible is good for all doctrine, concerning all doctrine, right? That's one of the things it's good for. Theology, in other words, our doctrines are, are that's what the, one of the things that the Bible is created for, was, is um, to give us good doctrine. Well, um, one of the things that we understand when we think about doctrine and we think about the Bible and what it says is, is that after the, separ- the, the leaving of the garden, when Adam and Eve, as according to how I see it, how I've come to understand it, they chose, Adam chose not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil tree of life with a single eye, seeing it as one thing. Again, as the New Testament would say, if your eye is single, then you're filled with light. And that is seeing in singularity that we're all one, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one, that we've been made one in Christ, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is one with the tree of life. Um, it's this, this unity of all things, um, non-separation of secular and, and human, or, or I'm sorry, secular and sacred. And, uh, but when this happens, when Adam decides not to eat, of the tree of life when he eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is said that then God, because he had made this decision and he'd been given dominion, God's like, okay, that's the house rule. Then I need to move you out of the garden because lest you eat of the tree of life. And in this current state, in this apart from state, you live eternally and you'll have no option and no, no, uh, there'll be no rec- uh, way to reconcile you to me. And so he leaves. And then he explains to him, he gives a, not a, um, a prescription or a declaration or a curse. He just simply gives a observation, letting him know what has now occurred. And everything he does, including working the ground, is going to be, it, the ground is cursed for his sake, because of this decision, the ground, which was supposed to just produce for him, now he has to, by the sweat of his brow, try, and he's going to believe he needs to work the ground in order to get it to do something. And it's because the the universe itself has been set, it's been broken, so to speak. It's been been put into disarray. It's now in dis-ease. And rather than the way it should have been, where man clearly seeing the will of the father, as Jesus demonstrated, always seeing what the father was doing and then walking in cooperation with that, with the spiritual eyes, which we call in the New Testament is the eyes of faith, seeing that which is really real, just as even more real than what we can see with our natural senses. That's what Adam had before the fall. But after it says, once they ate apart from, it says now their physical eyes were opened. And then they, that's all they were limited to is their senses. 
and they no longer could sense with their spirit eyes that can see all things perfectly, including their relationship with the Father. So at that point, everything, the earth itself and everything that comes from the earth is cursed. And so we have that. And so then I want you to think, when you have a Bible for hundreds of years, up until the last 30 or 40 years, every Bible that everyone had was primarily made of what? Paper, right? And maybe a leather or paper cover or leather cover. But those all come from the earth. So the Bible itself was cursed because it was made with cursed material. And further, the second commandment said, you shall make no graven image to worship it. Any, a graven image is something, a piece of wood or whatever it is that you inscribe on. And then you see that and you hold it as a God. Well, what other description do we have but the Bible, a piece of wood that has inscriptions on it that we worship and say it's the perfect word of God. Not as Jesus never said that the Bible was the perfect word of God. He said, I didn't see, he didn't say, I'm going to send people to write a book. And then that book will teach you all things about the father and remind you of my words and about everything that you need in life. No, he said, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will be another paraclete like me. Only this one will be even better because he will be in you and and the spirit it's, it herself will be the one who leads and guides and teaches you about, and reminds you of the words I've said, tells you about the father and teaches you all things about life. So we have the church has elevated a piece of wood with inscriptions as in, 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 to the place of God. They're breaking the second commandment in their Bible worship. In, in placing it above. And then they even go even further. And they say, when you say, well, what's God like? They go, oh, well, the Bible tells us what God's like. Well, the, the, Jesus didn't say that. He said, I'm come to show you what the Father's like. He didn't say, I'm going to leave you a book. He said, that's my job. Jesus's purpose. And Jesus is the sole one who brings us to the Father. He said, I and I alone bring you to the Father, not a book. So again, we're placing the Bible above Jesus's purpose, and we're trying to replace theology, theology and some denominations have tried to replace the job of Jesus and the Holy Spirit of showing us and reminding us of the Father, reminding us of the words of Jesus, revealing the Father to us clearly, and relegating that now to a piece of wood with inscriptions on it. That, that is blasphemy. That's, that is breaking their own rule book that says don't do this they're doing that with the very book itself so what jesus did when he when he said father said he was redeeming the universe right for god so loved the cosmos which bibles are part of the cosmos because they're made of the cosmos so when he was reconciling the whole of creation to himself through the work of jesus he reconciled the bible now, that doesn't mean he made it holy. It just means that now it's going to be able to do what, it, what its, its purpose is even better because its purpose for Jesus is to point to me. And now that I've come, 
you and you've seen me and now you understand the father clearly and now i've given you the spirit now you have the all the proper tools you need when you have the spirit living within you to be able to use the bible for its intended purpose to see me more clearly so it is a sign the bible in that sense is a sign as same way as i've described when you're on the highway and you're hungry and you need something, you know your body's telling you, you need something to eat. You, they have these big signs now on the big turnpikes where it says food ahead, next exit. And then there'll be Sonic and there'll be the big Arby's hat and there'll be McDonald's. And so if you're hungry and there's a sign telling you that there's food where the food is, you'd be stupid. If you drove off the, the, the highway, drove over to the sign and took a piece of that sign and tried to eat it as if it was going to feed you because its sole purpose is to point to where the food is. Just like Jesus said, the purpose of the Bible when he was talking to the Pharisees and he says, you tithe on your mint and your cumin. And, and, and that's fine if you want to do that. But he said, you're missing the weightier things like caring for widows and orphans. And he said, and further, he goes, you study the scriptures thinking that by doing so, by your studying of the scriptures, that that the end result of that will be, it will give you the life of the ages. The, the, it's, it's poorly translated eternal life, but the word is um, anion. Uh, and so that is, um, it's zoe anion. Zoe is the kind of life that God has. Anion is the age, the age of, so it's the age of the life of God, which is the kingdom of God. It's another way that they called in those days. It's one of the metaphors that they talked about when the kingdom of God would come, when the Messiah would come, he would institute the, the kingdom of God, the, the, the life of God age, where, where those that lived in this age would be filled with the Zoe, the life of God. And that would, that's what he did. He, he ushered in the kingdom of God. And he said, now that this has come, the growth of it will know no end. It'll just keep growing. It'll be like a seed. It's going to be little and it's, and it'll be imperceivable at first, maybe for hundreds of years. And by perspective of the whole earth, it was really, there was just a few hundred, a few thousand, a few 10,000, a few hundred thousand of millions of people on the earth, but it's continued to grow. And and it's still growing right now. And, and he said, don't be, don't be confused with big, massive things where we look at it and we go, oh, well, you know, four billion, four or five billion people of the eight billion people on the, are, are Christians. Well, I don't think they're part of the kingdom of God, per se. <laughs> so a lot of them are, but I don't think, you know, there's a lot of them that aren't, though, just because. Anyway, that's getting off course. Uh, this going back to the scripture, though. The Bible, you study the scripture, believing that by studying it, it will get you into it. It'll give you place in. It will usher you into being in the, 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 the Messiah age, the messianic age, the Zoe Enyon, the, the, the kingdom of, of God, the, the age of the, of the life of God. But he said its sole purpose, scripture speaking still on the scripture, was to point to me. And now that I'm here you won't receive me. And so, but now that Jesus has come, 
now that he's ascended, now that he's given us the spirit, now we are one again. We've been made and restored and reconciled unto God, given the spirit of God. So now we have the, everything that we need at, at that point to now go to the scripture and say, with that as my criteria, my hermeneutic is I'm looking for Jesus wherever it is, Old Testament, New Testament. I'm looking for Jesus and I'm looking for the Jesus. He revealed that the father that he revealed, that is a good father, that is all about blessings. And that is, um, in fact, he, he took the, the old covenant, which if you didn't keep it, it said, if you do not continue to keep everything that's written here in the law, you will be cursed. But see, the good news is that now that Jesus has come, we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So then he, Paul says, so that's good for us because now we as the righteous, we don't live by the law and the letter of the law. Now we live by faith. We live by this, this, this insight that we've been restored, being able to see clearly that which, and, and we can grow in that. It's, it says, you know, it's an ever-growing faith that we see more and more clearly as we meditate in the word, looking for Jesus, looking for the messages about Jesus in the Old and the New Testament that are clearly revealing. Again, they are saying the same thing as Jesus said as to the character and nature of the Father. And with that new insight, and we see that God is only about blessing. He's not about holding our sins against us. He's not about none of the things that the many who were who were seeing through dark glass dimly the prophets in the Old Testament that Jesus called thieves and liars, which I know sounds harsh, but it's, again, it's just a by comparison, they they themselves were blind, leading the blind, so they couldn't see clearly. Paul said they only had glimpses, bits and pieces of who God was, but none of them saw God. Um, and so Jesus was the first time he said, you are for the first time clearly seeing no one who came before me knew the father. Only the son knows the father. And I now am here to reveal who the father is so that you will forever know who he is. So now when we take that and reflectively go back to the Old Testament and or the New Testament, we can have for the first time the correct hermeneutic way to interpret and know why it's there and what we're supposed to be getting and it's not a science book it's not a just a history it's not a it is it is similes it's metaphors it's analogies it is um these parables parable a these stories cast alongside that we can in a, in a world that we can see and that we do know about to give us insight into a world that we could not see but now with the spirit can grow in seeing so there it is that's kind of a and that's i know that's kind of a lot but it and and, and i don't know if that even makes sense i'm i am hoping it kind of makes sense to you but i'm hoping to our listeners that kind of um is a logical and sort of makes sense once you see that um i mean i think in some ways you may have lost some people when you said the bible is cursed um along with the ground <laughs> although i think that anyone that can use different parts of their 
understanding and brain to recognize what you were saying and how you're putting those things together. I think it it will make sense why you said that. I do think it's fascinating and interesting that in our effort to put the scripture in its right position, we use the scripture to recite those te- texts about the scripture. So we're we're saying we're citing the scripture to talk about the the Bible, and it's it's interesting to me that we continue to use those texts, even though we're saying those texts should not be as elevated um, to a place of being the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible, as you, uh, is just an interesting way to think about that. It just, um, it's a joke. I mean, it's a joke, but it's not. It's real. But without these texts, where we would be, where we would be, would, would be with our hearts, with our creation, with our seed planting and harvesting with our sky, with our astronomy, with our world around us, and with one another. If we did not have this, these texts written, well, we would have text because somehow humanity has has found a way to capture the things that they've seen and known and heard from the divine throughout right. the centuries. And so that is, this book is a collection of those people's views, the people that viewed their life on earth, their 100 to 900 years, however long these folks lived, they wrote, or, or the people after they died, you know, which is the case that we have with the gospels, that it was not... You know, I think it's fascinating to really consider that as Jesus and the disciples and the folks were talking and and ministering and preaching and teaching, there was really no one there taking notes and and watching, you know, dictating what was happening. So I think to put it into perspective, it is, gosh, like writing about your vacation um, for your honeymoon. 32 years ago and trying to remember every detail, you're going to get some of it right. You'll get certain parts of it really beautiful. And and you'll probably recite things that had a lot of feeling, a lot of emotion to it that were transformative, let's say. But you may forget what you had for breakfast on Tuesday morning on that honeymoon. But you won't forget the time you saw the big tuna fish off of the cliff you know when you had when you went scuba diving and you were looking into the eyeballs of the of the tuna because that feeling will never leave you you know you it's really so i think that there were times in the lives of all these great heroes men and women of faith that we have in these texts you know what got included and what didn't i think it's very very accurate that we say it's not a history bible it or not as a history book not a science book and it's not not that. I mean, right. It's, it's not that it doesn't have history in it, but that's yeah. not the purpose. And yeah. I would say one of the things you said was that these were people who were writing down um, things as they saw it. But 
um, and that it's not the Father, it's not the Son, it's not the Holy Spirit, but it is the Bible. And the Bible, I still want to make it clear, the Bible is still an, an extremely important book. And here, and this is why, because when it's being used for its intended purpose, it is by design and by God's hand, by the Spirit. I do believe that that it was it wasn't just a book like every other book, and it isn't just stories written by different you know authors that how they saw things. I really do believe when it says that the scriptures were as were, were written down as the Spirit moved these men along and again i don't believe that that means that they were like you know like that um i can't even think of it there's a term in the it was it's uh old automatic writing um that was really common around the turn of the, the last last century um and edward casey and all these different people participated in it they would go into a trance <clears throat> they'd have a pen or pay or pencil and a, and, a, and a notebook and once they've been into this trance they'd start writing and whatever they were writing, they wouldn't even remember. And they'd wake up and they'd read it. And they'd be amazed. And like everybody else, these things. And it was these spirits were speaking through them. They were channeling. Um, that's what, when mediums were, you know, really popular uh, in the beginning of the 19th century and the end of the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century. And um, it's not like that. That's not what I'm saying that the Bible is because I, there's so much freedom that people, that God loves to give us. Um, but it was as the spirit moved them along. So like the main storyline was there and the themes that they were to have and the, and, and they, they could see, I believe these things, a lot of them came to them kind of like they saw, I mean, when you even think about a lot of the scriptures there, there's stories and recollections of like the prophets say of these things that happened to them. And then they write them down. And as that was being written down there, even being, helped in like this one it's important to turn the phrase like this um and here's the reason when this is just a thing that i've come to realize and i haven't really i don't know of any scriptures that point to this thing i'm about to say <laughs> but i've definitely seen it over and over again that the the bible in 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 a huge way more than any other book i've ever seen although i know this is true about any piece of great art the god that you believe in when you go to the scripture is the god that you will find everywhere in the bible well, Bob, regardless is of what you're a really beautiful statement that is rings so true to me we find yeah. what we're looking for we absolutely right. see what we're looking for in our in right. people in books in bibles yes in this world we find what we're yes. looking for it reminds me of that story told so often about this guy that uh moves to a new a new city and he's walking along the beach and he finds one of the locals there who has set up a little shop on the beach and is selling his wares and and he says so uh, I'm new to, I'm new to town tell me what the people are like here tell me what they're like and 
the the wise person behind the counter says, well, why don't you tell me where what they were like from where, where he came from? What were they like? He said, oh, they were terrible. Oh, uh, they they, they treated so badly and they they were just liars and cheaters and they didn't like me. And, and um, they were just awful people. So that's why I moved here. And he said, well, you find that most people around here are about the same. They're about the same. About exactly the same. That's and, right. <laughs> <laughs> the story goes on and, and says another guy came and has just moved into town, asked the same guy, you know, how oh, I'm just here new to town. What what are the people like here? He said, well, why don't you tell me what the people were like where you came from? And he said, well, they were very friendly, very friendly folks. It was really hard to leave, actually. But I've had I've come here to take care of my parents who are aging. And so but they were just so friendly, so kind. Everybody was so welcoming and and um, just so generous. And he said, well, you're going to find about the people about the same way here. <laughs> <laughs> and we find we see what we're looking for. Right. And, and the same narrative, I, you know, this guy that I told you that I've been enjoying at my gym that we talked about last time, and I really am enjoying him for the most part, um, but he came up to me wearing a t-shirt the uh, other day, and uh, he, I guess he's known for these, these uh, controversial t-shirts, and so he has sort of a strut about him when he walks in because he's expecting a conversation about whatever text is on his shirt, which really represents his world view and, ha- sure. and what we, what people who think their Bible speaks for itself. Right. The very embodiment of his shirt speaking for his worldview so he right. walks to me and and he I, I have you know it's long convoluted text like it cites revelation you know and it's something about the mark of the beast and it cites revelation and he wa- and he struts and he says i said all right there's your shirt you know <laughs> i say very <laughs> non-controversial and say there's your shirt he said well what what do you don't you like it it's biblical and I said, yeah, it's, it's biblical. It's just not very loving, but it is biblical. And, right. you know, those statements, people don't recognize how packed they are because sure. the spirit gives life and love. Right. The letter, the letter, the letter's self Kill. says. Kill. Yeah. The letter killeth. It's the it spirit. Kills. That breathes life into them. Without the spirit, they they are just the ministry of death, as Paul said. The law is the ministry of death. Um, uh, yeah, the servant, the um, the law came through the servant. The law of death came through the servant Moses, but life and and um, truth came through the Son Jesus. See. And- you know, I I just I think about the other the world religions who have their holy texts, and I just hear people just asking this question as we're talking about this the Bible, and then I'm thinking about the other other religious holy texts, and um, just you know. I'm not as personally as familiar with them as um, 
Hindus would be with their, I guess, Vita, 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 something, you know, their holy scriptures and the various books that they have. And okay, then the Muslims that have their Quran. I I really couldn't quote one scripture out of the Quran or the uh, Vita. I, I don't know them. I fell in love with this Bible, the one we have in this narrative and our story. I fell in love with it as a 12-year-old reading the Ryrie Study Bible um, that had my dad's name printed on it and in gold letters. And I fell in love with that. And I, I fell in love with it so much that I couldn't wait to get home from school to read it. And then had my own, you know, had would then fell in love with Bibles themselves, just as you're talking about, but always loved to get a new Bible, love to have a new Bible with my name on that Bible, took the Bible to school with me, put it in my Jansport backpack, was head of the Bible club, wanted to talk about the Bible, study the Bible, look at the Bible. <laughs> Anybody that got a new Bible in my youth group wanted to show me because I'd get excited about their new Bible. And I'd go to the various scriptures that I had learned and knew and memorized and that I heard preached. And I'd read what their new Bible said about it. And if there were any study notes about it, I was just thrilled about it. I was reading the Bible in my room as a young kid. I mean, 12, 13, 14 years old. That's what I love to do was get in my, was go to my room and read my Bible. And I remember back, remember the um, old uh, computers that had, and you had a printer that had the, the holes, the perforated um, edges of the paper. Right. That go on those. <laughs> and that was when you had, a, <laughs> and you had print shop. Remember the, right. the program print shop. Dot matrix. Put, and- put that in there. And make a banner, you know, right. you wanted to make a poster or make a long banner. And it the banner was so fascinating because it would cross multiple pages of paper because it were all strewn together on this roll. Sure. And I remember one of the first banners I made was from the book of Colossians, because the book, when I found out that, <laughs> that in his body, he nailed to the tree all of the handwriting, uh, the handwriting of requirements that were against us, that were contrary to us, having nailed them to the cross, having put them right. out of the way. I printed that. I typed that out. I printed out a big banner that went across the, the remember when you used to put the wallpaper, those little borders up around the top of your. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Rooms? And right. you know, back in the 80s, it was like mauve and emerald green you know yes like really nice little, little uh, <laughs> or if you're in a kid's room it was little boats or basketballs or, <laughs> and you have bibles bible verses <laughs> i had bible verses i had my print shop banners bible verses on the top that i colored and uh that's that, awesome you know but it's in my fabric. It's in the fabric of my being it, it's just in the sure. fiber of my being. it's just what i know and so even when we're talking about repositioning the bible we use the bible scriptures to talk about repositioning the bible <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> well here's the thing think about this too though see if the bible is as jesus said it points to me therefore it's like it's one one word i've used is it's a sign well another word that you can think of is it's a map so a map doesn't have the treasure but a map leads you to the treasure. Yeah. A map is important. Before we had our phones and GPS, I mean, I needed maps. I, anytime I was going somewhere, I had a map and I would 
open it up and I'd get a highlighter and I'd know this is where I'm at. This is where I'm trying to get to. And I would, I would find what is the best route. And I would, you know, I, I, I put it on there and I'd go along and I'd say, I want to stay on major highways. I don't want to go these little routes. And I'm sure. And most of the time you could do that with our highways and our, you know, you know, in America. And, uh, but without that map and that direction, I wouldn't be able to find what I was looking for. Right. And so Jesus said, the, the Bible's purpose is to help you get to me. And so in that, that doesn't change. There's, that's one of the things that it can continue to do in so many ways because it, it shows us and brings us back and helps us get to Jesus. The Bible, the, the Bible that Jesus was referencing was the Torah. Was the right. Torah. I mean, it, I mean, that's just the truth of it. There was no Philippians and Colossians and Galatians. No, and none, of, none. none of that. It was the first five, the Pentateuch. It was just the Torah. Right. And the like, first book in the New Testament wasn't written till a decade or two after Jesus even died. None of the Gospels were even written until a, almost an entire generation after Jesus died. So even the, the first church for the first generation of the church, all they had was a, sm a smattering of, of the, if, if they had that, of some of Paul's letters to some of the churches trying to explain what was what, what this new thing that was going on um, was happening. How do you find legitimacy in it? Like, how do you find as much as we dial in and we appreciate and it, we find it to be important. Um, how, how is it still, how is it relevant? And, and how is it that it is still relevant? How is it that it is still a relevant place to spend time? How, how right. why? That would be a much longer conversation, but, um, because I also, as you know, see that there's been a lot of additional, beside the fact that so many denominations have tried to tell us inaccurately the purpose of the Bible, that it is the sole way that we find out about God. And the problem then that's compounded with that is when there were people who translated the Bible multiple times, sometimes it's when, depending on the translation you're reading, you're reading at least a couple translations away because most of them favor greatly the King James Bible when they're translating. I can show you scriptures where the Greek clearly does not say anything that the King James does. And yet all the other translations with much more insight into the real Greek, they still bowed to the King James and said, I know that this doesn't say, this scripture here doesn't say what the King James has always said. It says something very different, but we're going to keep that because otherwise we're going to, it's, we're going to get too much heat from people because it's so different than what the King James says. And so, but when they were translated, going <clears throat> back to whenever you're reading the scripture, when you come to it, you come to it with a bias. The God that you currently believe, whatever you believe he's like, that's the, the God you're going to see if you're just reading the words of the Bible. And it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to be magnified and you're going to be justified in, I knew it. That, like you said with the story, I'm getting what I'm expecting. Well, the translators did that exact thing. And when you think of the King James Bible, that's six hundred, six or 700 years ago. Those men, their theo that theology back then, that was 
undergoing. And again, we'd have to go into an entire, that's why if I was doing this an eight hour uh, uh, lectures on the Bible, one whole night would be about the King James Bible, at least maybe two explaining the whole history of all the men who were hired to do that by the King. And the reason since he was leaving the Catholic church, this is the first major thing. It was a, a, it was almost a thumbing of the nose at the church because before that, for anyone like Tyndale, who was written, he wrote, translated his Bible before even the King James. But uh, in fact, much of the King James is the Tyndale Bible. When you see them side by side, it was heavily borrowed from. Well, that man had been translating for decades and the Pope was trying to murder him. He was sending people all over the world to murder him because what he was doing in his mind, the Pope was so dangerous, putting it into a vulgar language, as it was called. Even the Vulgate was, the Latin was a the Latin Vulgate. Even that was considered vulgar because it was only for uh, non, it, it, again, it was just the, the common person didn't have the capacity to understand the Bible. It was only supposed to be, it was like a magic book that only those who went to schools and got this higher education and learned, but it was because they have indoctrinated them with the doctrines of the church before they ever had a chance to ever go to the texts. And so that they would keep with whatever the doctrines of the church at that time were, even though the Bible itself contradicts most of them. And that's why, again, when, uh, you know, Martin Luther, who was a Catholic priest, he was studying to be a Catholic priest and he was specializing in languages and he was in the Bible and he's reading it. And he's like, holy cow, I just right off the top of my head, there's 93 things that that the church teaches as absolute doctrine. And the Bible teaches exactly the opposite of all of these things. And he found many more after that. But that's the famous um, 93, the 93 thesis where he had 93 specific points of doctrine that con that the Bible say says exactly the opposite, that contradict the Bible. And he put them on the Wittenberg door in, in the town in, in where he was at. And again, he was um, eventually excommunicated from the church as a, as a heretic. Um, but... Uh, that's what was going on at that time. And, and, and many other things. I mean, it was a huge, huge turning in the history of the world and why it's called the Great Enlightenment, that whole period, because people were beginning to realize they'd been being lied to for hundreds of years. And um, so anyway, but even then they were, you have to remember, these are just infants just coming out of still thousands, over, over 1,400 years of indoctrination into a certain way that where they had gone off the road in for 1400 years and 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 it was so ingrained and all they had all these universities and i mean oxford was already two or three hundred years old in in 1400s isn't that amazing i mean oxford was founded in like 1033 i mean it, it, and as a christian university it's it's mind-blowing yeah. um so yeah, the Bible then, and so it's it's so been mistranslated. So you have layers of things to try and get back to what the real God would even possibly look like, because now you have a tainted book when you're looking at it that's already been impregnated and overlaid and a coverlay 
that is obfuscating what the real truth that potentially is in there um, is, is conveying. And that's why I'm trying to do, that's part of why I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to do with the Lyric Bible is to peel back through all that and by the spirit, I'm hoping, I'm asking, I mean, every time I do it, I'm asking and trusting the spirit to give me the insights for every single word and every single verse. Um, uh, but that is more clearly echoing the kind of God that Jesus uh, was came to reveal. So anyway, awesome. we're over time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. That was fun. This is going to be definitely for people who have a love, uh, a love relationship with the Bible and who maybe have a love hate relationship. Don't hate me. We'll talk more about it. I didn't mean that the Bible's cursed. Yeah. I just I was just saying that it is a along with everything in in the earth. I mean, it even said the very ground yet they cultivated. We've been we, we were alive. We've been eating things and, and, it, and it's nourished us. It's just that it wasn't. It, 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 it was along with everything else bent and and um cursed in that sense really what i'm what i'm what i'm meaning is it, it's it is again it's it's been uh it's like muddied water like instead of clear water that it was intended to reflect the father you've reached your hand down in a creek and you've muddied it and and moved it around and that's like what's happened and so it's much more difficult to clearly see um, what, uh, uh, and, and again, since its purpose was never to see the father per se, it was always to point to Jesus, who was the one who leads us to and shows us who the father is, not the Bible directly. So that's a big, that's a big distinction there that I, I think is important for people to understand. So anyway. That's good. That's good. <laughs> That's good. That's a wrap. I think that is uh, a lot to consider. Um, so yep. as we close and go into this Labor Day weekend, let the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until we talk again. Amen.